Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Oh, hey there, teenager on the train that I sat next to. Who, me? Do you like ballet? Yes. But do you still do it? No, and I don't want (laughs) to talk about it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Ballet killed my mother. Okay. There, I said it. (laughs) Ballet in my dreams killed my mother. Okay. Are you happy? Wow. That's a lot of trauma that you have. It's kind of like, did you ever watch Cruella? Emma Stone Cruella. No, I haven't seen it. It's like so funny to me because it's like the girl boss mentality taken to like a 14. So it's like it stops being bad and it starts getting funny. They Mm -hmm. rewrite it so that Cruella only hates Dalmatians because they like killed her parents. Oh, that's right. And you're like, what? That's basically what happens in this movie. Ballet killed her mother. Mm -hmm. And so now she can't talk about it. (laughs) I mean, fair. Yeah. Anyway, hello and welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Caitlin. I feel like the, sorry, my name is Jamie. I feel like the moral of this movie is if you dream too big, it will kill someone. So dream small or have no dreams. If you have ambitions to go to Juilliard, someone will get into a car accident or there will be some kind of car catastrophe every time you audition. Because it happens twice. This happens a lot in movies of this era. I was thinking there's some Hillary Duff movie that is rancid, unfortunately, about like Raise Your Voice, I think is called. No? Is you it? Can yes. Speak. Okay. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. No, I was like, I can't. Some podcast, they don't want you to say anything until they introduce you. So I was silently, violently nodding. <laughs> there's no rules. One thing about me, I'm going to bust out calmly. Oh, 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 the epitome of white girls giving us nothing. Oh, raise your voice is, uh, is a staple. 
I love the, I mean, it's like equally ridiculous that Hillary Duff is the voice of a generation that Julia Stiles is the ballet prodigy of a generation. But she, I think her brother dies. Her dreams kill her brother. Yes. Her brother, they were going to, I watched this movie recently. So that's (laughs) why I said, what happened was they were on their way to a three days grace concert. They came back from it. He snuck out of the house. He got in trouble, but he snuck out of the house. They went because he wanted to do it for her. And then on the way back when they're singing headlights and he's dead. No. And she Ugh. can't see flashlights. No. She doesn't want to audition, but her brother secretly sent in the tape for her. Wow. I love the specificity of them going to a Three Days Grace concert. Mm-hmm. What an embarrassing way to die. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Hey, they died singing that. That's oh. what happened. He died singing that. Oh my God. I, I guess I need to watch this movie. I've never seen it. You've never seen <laughs> Is it a decom? It sounds like it's a decom. No, no, no. But it's that middle ground place where like it's a little bit for older ish teens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the Degrassi crowd or something. It's like slightly yeah. above decom age. And she sees his ghost like comes to the concert or whatever. I miss I would have appreciated a Julia Stiles mom ghost. Yes, sitting in the theater. Oh, yeah. If Casper can do it, save the last hands can do it. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so we've immediately gotten derailed. Sorry. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. Yes, this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test as a jumping off point. I just want to breeze right past that today. Look it up or listen to a different episode. because The we've... show's been on for 45 years. Okay, if you don't yeah. know what the test, we, we barely talk about it. It's the True. jumping off point <laughs> for a bigger discussion about <laughs> Julia Stiles. It's called marketing, okay? And if you guys, I'm sorry, <laughs> not me attacking your audience. <laughs> I know, we have a brand to maintain. God. No, God. but um, today's movie is not the Hillary Duff one we were just talking about. It's Save the Last Dance, and we have an amazing guest we're so excited about. They are a, an unserious content creator trying to get people to be less mean to each other. It's Khadija Mbo. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're starstruck, we're thrilled, we're fans. <laughs> Which is wild to me, because I literally, I'm listening to you. You're on Behind the Bastards, and y'all are talking about that weird CIA sex cult thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And Robert's yeah. accusing me of murder right and left. <laughs> yep, yep. So, Khadija, what is your relationship with Save the Last Dance? So, actually, Save the Last Dance is the first Okay, I grew up watching it one, of course. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a dancer growing up, but my parents couldn't afford to put me in dance. And we're also like, girl, dance. We did not come all the way from West Africa for you to come over here and dance. Like, <laughs> open those books. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So I always secretly loved ballerinas. Like, that was always a thing that I, like, dreamt I could do. So I loved watching any kind of dance movie. And then on top of that, my friend and I, Chelsea, Chelsea, hey girl, I'm giving you a shout out, Chelsea, Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea. (laughs) She's going to be so thrilled. Um, (laughs) We watched it for a podcast that we did like back in 2020, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was the first YouTube video that I made not giving like life advice or anything, but like actually talking about like a social issue. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the dolls were like, oh, hey, girl. This is cute. 
And I was like, hmm, maybe I should talk about more of this stuff because I have half a sociology degree, so I may as well put it to use. <laughs> no way. I didn't know it was like a part of a turning point in the kind of content you're making. That's so cool. Yeah. Because I did video essays like once a month, but I was like, I'm going to make life advice and then I'll do video essays once a month. And then I was like, why don't I just like kind of mix these two? So I just like turned my camera on one day and was like, we got to talk about Save the Last Dance because I have issues with this movie. (laughs) And then we watched that video because here's what happened with us. Jamie and I had prepped this episode to release on our Matreon as a part of Dance Sember. Because the first movie we did was Flashdance, and then we were prepping to do Save the Last Dance, and then we were just like, "Mm, this episode would really benefit from a guest. Yes, and we both, we realized in unison, because we had both watched your video and had like quoted it extensively and we we're like we should just invite them on the show like what are we doing <laughs> right. we're being fools so we put a pause we reached out to you we we're like i wonder if they'll reply and then we covered burlesque on the matreon instead i fucking love burlesque oh my god <laughs> oh, that movie i'm working uh, side note i'm working on a pole opera recital mm-hmm. and so that's a big inspiration visually aesthetically for it because oh yeah perfect watched it for the first time last year what a film <laughs> it's just no hinges it is mm-hmm. so yeah we were really into the whole air rights plot twist yeah it's so movie you know <laughs> it's a movie that feels like a movie it right? really does, it does. <laughs> that um, quote disappeared too quickly um, oh let's bring it back yeah so anyway so you responded and here we all are and we're so delighted to have you yeah jamie what is your relationship with save the last dance Similar to Khadija, I grew up watching this movie. I feel like it was like a real sleepover classic. I definitely saw mm. it several times. I went to like community ballet classes where we like didn't compete. No one was particularly good. So the dancing in this movie was really great because it's <laughs> not very good. And we're like, we could do that. And like, tragically, we may have been able to do it. Because it's mostly just pointing, standing up, sitting down. She does drop into those splits, though. The middle split that she does, that I was like, oh, right. Oh, wait. Okay. We weren't being kind to her because I forgot she immediately goes into that. And then everything else was. Yeah. She trained. She trained. But yeah, I had like a pretty limited history with this. I hadn't seen it in a long time before prepping for this. And so, you know, it's very much a confronting your nostalgia demons kind of thing. And yeah, I forgot a lot of what happened in this movie. And I also forgot, I think that this was my first viewing of this movie where I realized I don't know what they're preparing for, for a lot of this movie. I don't know what the dancing, why he's training her, what qualifies him to train her. Because she's white and he's black and he's trying to give her flavor. God, Jamie. That really does seem to be (laughs) the internal logic of the movie. Because I was like, wait a second. Is he a dancer? Like, do we know this? Not. What are they getting ready for? They're taking it so seriously. I love it. Right. Because it's not until like past the midway mark that she learns about the next string of Juilliard auditions. So before that. He teaches her how to sit in a chair. And <laughs> you guys, I'm so sorry. I need to say this. So as black people, 
dancing is really important, right? And so because of that, if you can't sit or stand or move your hips with some sort of attitude, it's kind of like a family embarrassment, honestly. <laughs> like two of my siblings can't dance. And every time I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm don't, I'm not, black people aren't a monolith and I am not the representation for black folks. <laughs> I just, Sarcasm. I He's like, you're not sitting in the chair right. And so we have to incorporate this chair sitting as a part of your dance training. You're like, yeah, exactly. Even though at Steps the Club, there is no point that any of them are sitting. No. No. Well, I like, unless they're talking. Yeah, but the sitting isn't a part of the dancing. There's like four chairs for heated conversation. (laughs) There. This movie is, I remember it being incredibly successful And it just feels so like peak MTV movie of this Mm. time where the soundtrack is pretty fucking awesome. The soundtrack is bumping. I was like, okay, hold up. I got a million dollar bill. Put your hands up. You can do it. Put your ass into it. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) You said that so reluctantly. I know. I was like, I was like, well, because some of the lyrics are you can do it put your back into it and then i was like is that yes. the lyric or is it both of them i think it goes back and forth music is amazing music is yeah. amazing <laughs> it can be both <laughs> two things can be true <sighs> you're so right i have a theory about this movie though because i looked up the date it was released january 12 2001 mm-hmm. you guys mm-hmm. this was a pre 9 11 america this yes. was and when you think about that it explains this movie mm-hmm. i don't know how <laughs> But I'm one of those people that will always connect it back to 9-11. I don't. <laughs> it's pre 9-11 and it's pre Shrek. And those are the two Ooh. cultural markers. It is pre Shrek. You're right. Yeah, Shrek you're right. The final movie before 9-11. Spiritually. <laughs> the final movie before, spiritually before 9-11. <laughs> it's like two months. I also didn't remember this in my memory. This movie happened in New York, but I think it's because anytime I saw a city in a movie Mm. when I was a kid, I was like New York City, even if they're constantly calling it Chicago. (laughs) It's New York City. It's beautiful. In any case, my history with this movie (laughs) is. Yes. Oh, sorry. What is it? Oh, my God. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, it's fine. This movie came out when I when I was a freshman in high school. So I was like the target demo. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I probably saw it a few times at different like friends sleepovers. And we were all just like, wow, cool dancing. And we just Uh uh we thought it was cool. And I don't think I've seen it since. So that's what my history is. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I can't wait to talk more about it because this is yeah. a wild, wild movie. It's a rich text. It's such a rich text. It mm. almost definitely would have been my introduction to Carrie Washington as well. Yeah. Oh, it would 100%. She's in this. She was still a teacher when she was doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Yes. That warms my heart. She's so good in it. Like she did not make enough money off this role because from like citation needed but i'm pretty sure that was the case i remember i don't know when i was looking this up because i just like to learn about like how movies are made or like what the tea was behind the scenes and yeah apparently she was still teaching while she was doing this movie because you know we know they don't pay actors y'all come on (laughs) nope no not ones that aren't famous already Mm -hmm. i did look it up and it seems to be 
referenced in a number of publications. Hey! They're pulling a quote from her in today.com and people.com. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Love that. So it's true. But yeah, she didn't earn enough money from this role because actors and especially black women are severely underpaid. So which is still I mean, that's like a conversation that's been going on recently with Taraji Taraji P. Henson. Yeah, I got Taraji crying on stage. Y'all yeah. she is too famous for this. <sighs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. So that conversation is ongoing. <sighs> Shall we talk about the movie? <laughs> you know, I, I think the time has come. It's time. All right, let's take a quick break first. And then we'll come back for the recap. It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back. All right. So here's Save the Last Dance. We meet Sarah, played by Julia Stiles. She's a teenager who used to dance ballet. We get some flashbacks where she's hanging out with her mom. She's preparing for an audition to Juilliard. She's begging her mom to come to the audition. Sarah shows up at the audition and her mom is rushing to get there and is killed in a car accident along the way. Right as Sarah is auditioning, but like she's falling. And, it, and right as Sarah is like, I'm coming in hot, but like she's <laughs> blowing it anyways, you know, yeah. like she's <laughs> like if she hadn't fallen, Juilliard has an 8% acceptance rate. Right. And also, girl, yeah, like you, I saw her leg going up at some of those. I was like, Julia, activate those glute muscles, girl. <laughs> Lift. Lift that leg. Yeah. But yeah. no, it's definitely her mom's death that botches the... I mean, honestly, though, when I was a kid, that was like the most engaging editing sequence I'd ever seen yes. in my life. Oh, yes. the juxtaposition. I mean, come on. It was right up there with, oh my gosh, do you remember, I forget what song is playing in the Glee episode where the cheerleader gives birth. I think it's going to- Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Yeah. God, yeah. it's, <laughs> I don't know what, or that was stored in my brain. What? <laughs> the fact that both of you know, even are referring to this sequence. <laughs> Also really incredible 2000s era editing. Just um, just that I'd shout out. Okay, so the audition gets all messed up and Sarah is devastated by her mother's death and she steps away from ballet. She mm. arrives in the south side of Chicago to live with her dad now. Their relationship is pretty awkward. He's showing her around his apartment. She gets settled in. I was getting... Charlie and Bella Swan vibes from this because it's a very similar mm -hmm. scene where Charlie Swan's like, here's your bedroom. Hope you like purple. Okay, bye. Very <laughs> beginning of the first Twilight movie vibes. That is well spotted. I like that she has jazz dad. Had to be. <laughs> You're like, this is a character I haven't seen before. I don't think I've ever seen jazz dad. Oh, so jazz, jazz dad. dad. <laughs> they say it's all been done. Not mm -mm. so. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. Jazz dad is definitely new. <laughs> yep. Okay, so then Sarah goes to her first day at her new school. And it's worth noting that the student body is predominantly black and she's one of the few white students there. This will all become relevant later. During her English lit class, they're talking about Capote and she gets into this literary debate with a classmate named Derek played by Sean Patrick Thomas. Sarah also meets a student named Chenille, that's a young Carrie Washington, mm. who kind of takes Sarah under her wing and introduces Sarah to her friends. We learn that Derek is Chenille's brother. 
We also learn that Derek has aspirations to go to Georgetown and become a doctor. He had my number from the very beginning because he did the thing that I love when boys do in movies, which is quote things. He's <laughs> quoting various things. And so I was like, yeah, I have a crush on him. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> if a guy can read, I'm immediately like, oh, my God. Anytime like a teenage boy character is canonically literate, I'm like, ooh, okay, I'm going to be interested in him. listening. And can yeah. we just say real quick? We're talking about Carrie Washington. Carrie Washington before the lip quiver, because we all know that lip quiver. It's like the Florence Pugh frown. And then, (laughs) is it Sean Patrick Tom? It's, yeah, he has three first names, and that's not acceptable. Sean Patrick Thomas. Child actor, serial killers. So, (laughs) Sean Mm -hmm. Patrick Thomas and his nostrils. Because Sean Patrick Thomas' nostrils, every time he got, I recognized it. I was like, good Mm. for you, man. His nostrils were doing their own performance. But anyway, they're flaring and they were flaring such? a lot. Okay. I just couldn't stop staring at it. As a kid, I just really remember his nostrils. Okay. <laughs> nice. Good, nos- good nostril game. I'm trying to remember. It's Sean. like the Will Poulter eyebrows. It's like just sometimes. That reminds me, Jamie, did you do you remember that Will Poulter is in The Revenant? Yes, I do. I did not remember it's that. the only reason I saw The Revenant. <laughs> I was like, I'm watching The Revenant to get horny. <laughs> only. <laughs> I have no reference. I've never seen it. I had only seen it one other time, but I was scrubbing through it the other day for a little special oh. surprise for one of our live shows coming up. But yeah. I was like, what? Will Poulter's in this? I wonder if Jamie knows. Anyway, so <laughs> back to Save the Last Dance. A young Will Poulter. Yeah. Okay. I don't like how I said that. We're the same <laughs> age. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So one day in gym class. Sarah gets on the balance beam and she starts doing ballet type moves. And Chenille and her friends are like, wow, you can do ballet. In that case, you should come with us to a hip hop club named Steps. So after school, Sarah, Chenille, Derek and their friend Snooki ahead of their time, they're hanging out and they're kind of planning to go to Steps and they arrange to get Sarah a fake ID so that she can get into the club And during this scene, Sarah is, how do I say this, serving some attitude Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Snooki and Derek. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wow, this white girl can hang. She's definitely. This white girl is down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Poor Julia Stout. Like her acting style is like just not selling this really very much. (laughs) I wanted to shout out one of my favorite lines in the movie. I think it's Nikki at the beginning of... I don't know. There's elements of this movie where you're like, for sure, this was written by multiple people over the age of 40, because there's the (laughs) there's the scene where I think it's like Nikki, who's like she's dancing in the hallway and they're like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just doing a little hip hop. Yeah, she's like, she's observing other people. (laughs) Yeah. And then Chanel's like, oh, that's just a little hip hop. Yeah. You're like, that's a mom wrote that. A mom wrote that. Yeah, the original script was written by some random white dude. And then this black woman came in later, apparently, and like rewrote it and stuff. But I was like, Mm -hmm. was this how they were talking in the early 2000s? Or is this old head stuff? I think the damage was done (laughs) in the first draft. I'm going to say Cheryl Edwards innocent. (laughs) Cheryl Edwards protect black women. Cheryl Edwards innocent. Anyway, so they're like, wow, this girl's so cool. She should definitely hang out with us. 
So then Sarah meets Chenille at her place before they head out to Steps. And this is when Sarah learns that Chenille has a baby who her, I believe it's her grandmother, seems to be like the primary caregiver for. And Chenille's like, bye, baby. (laughs) I'm going out to the club. So Chenille gives Sarah her fake ID. She makes some adjustments to Sarah's outfit. And then they go into Steps. People are dancing. People are judging Sarah for being there. There's this girl named Nikki who's like, um, what's this white girl doing here? <laughs> that scene. That line. I'm so, <laughs> I know you don't want to say it, so <laughs> I will say it. It's like, who invited the white girl to the Negro function? <laughs> Julia South goes, must have missed it because there aren't any Negroes here. And I was like, mm. Julie, I'm going to need to stop rolling your neck. (laughs) You are in mixed company and you got invited here. You are a guest in this house. Calm it down. That's like when Adele put those Bantu knots in and we were like, Adele, we love you. (laughs) And we always want to invite you places, but you stepped a little too far. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) That scene is baffling. You're just like... She has Sarah, the character of Sarah, just in every situation displays a stunning lack of self-awareness, like, (laughs) and is never punished for it. This Mm -mm. is a world where her lack of self-awareness will never result in even a stray look. (laughs) She never learns anything from it. It's just like, what is the point of the movie then? She's living the dream. She doesn't grow or change. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets into Juilliard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She hasn't even become a better dancer. (laughs) Despite all of Derek's efforts. Okay, so Nikki, she's like one of the antagonistic forces for Sarah, and she has a romantic history with Derek, and she wants to like get back together with him. He's not into her anymore, but because there's this like blossoming flirtation between Sarah and Derek, Nikki's like, ugh, gross. Yeah, every word out of Nikki's mouth is just like a one-liner insult. About Sarah being white. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, Nikki, you, listen, girl, Bianca Lawson, love you down, mm-hmm. high schooler mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You a little too light to be coming after this white girl. Not say that you white, but girl, it's the light skin privilege for me. And then I also was like, is Derek a colorist? I mean... It's possible. He's really... (laughs) Me stepping back. Seems to be favoring light skin. Listen, Derek, I'm just curious. Although that is Hollywood, though. They like a dark-skinned black man and a mixed biracial black woman. (laughs) That's the ideal couple form in Hollywood for black folks. (laughs) We've seen it time and time again. Okay, so meanwhile, Sarah is at the club. She's just kind of watching people dance. She's observing. And then Derek comes over to her and asks her to dance. So they start dancing. He's showing her hip hop <laughs> steps. They're just doing a little hip hop, Caitlin. But, oh, right. She's like, what is this? He's like, it's just a little hip hop. <laughs> and then from now on, she, it's just a little hip hop. <laughs> she's not great at it, but she's trying her best. And then a fight breaks out that Derek gets caught up in the middle of because there's this guy named Malachi who Derek is friends with. And Malachi is involved in, I think, drug dealing is, I don't know if they come out and say it specifically, but that seems to be the implication. Anyway, so there's this like fist fight, everyone scatters. And so they leave the club. And then Derek 
walks Sarah home. And as they're saying goodnight, he's like, I could help you with your dance moves. And she's like, okay. <laughs> you like a montage. Ooh, say what, say what, say what. Yeah. <laughs> you know that I like it, baby. <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, they're standing up and sitting down. I Multiple mean, she times. has to learn how to sit in a chair. It's so important. Her mom died, Caitlin. Take it easy. <laughs> so they're hanging out a lot and he is teaching her some steps. And like you pointed out, Jamie, they're not preparing for anything. She's not anticipating another Juilliard audition yet. My guess is just like they have a crush on each other. So they're using this as an excuse to hang out. But yeah. <laughs> it's the means by which they fall into weird love with each other. <laughs> right. So anyway, he's teaching her all this stuff. And then she does a ballet move. He's like, whoa, you know, ballet and she's like yeah <laughs> but it, it killed my mom so i don't want to talk He's about like, it rondejean attitude <laughs> i don't want to talk about it <laughs> girl what <laughs> he's like so you said rondejean whatever because you don't want to talk about it which i appreciated that line. <laughs> i really like that line. yeah because i was like oh they he said the thing that teen movies never say the thing that you're thinking <laughs> that's nice okay so she's refusing to talk about her mom also, Sarah has witnessed Malachi threatening and assaulting a girl at school. And rather than telling him about that or like doing anything to help protect this girl, she's just like, hey, Derek, why are you friends with Malachi? And Derek defends him. And then they move on. <laughs> they just move right past that conversation. Generally speaking, though, we just get a lot of scenes of Sarah and Derek dancing and vibing. And then Derek discovers that he got accepted into Georgetown. So he and Sarah go out to celebrate. We get a scene where they're on the L and a white lady is giving them disgusted looks because she doesn't like interracial couples. So Sarah and Derek start heavily canoodling they're all over each other. I don't even think they've kissed at this point, but they're just That's sort of what like, shocked me. His yeah. lips were on her neck. And I was like, has his lips even been on your mouth? Yet, no. Girls? Yeah. <laughs> I was really, yeah, because after he gets into Georgetown, it's game on for some reason. Like, <laughs> listen, the prospect of full tuition and your future being set for you, if that doesn't arouse you in this economy, I don't know what would. <laughs> I'm like, there has to be a missing scene where they are like, because it seems like they're together really suddenly after mm -hmm. like this really slow burn flirtation. And then, yeah, in the train scene, you're like, oh, I guess that they're dating because they're on a date and they're like making out on the train. But they haven't even kissed on the lips yet. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. But anyway, so they go to the ballet. She's apprehensive about going in because of all of her ballet trauma. But they watch the performance it upsets her and this is when she tells Derek that she feels responsible for her mother's death because she died on the way to Sarah's Juilliard audition and she's crying and Derek's like it's not your fault don't give up on your dreams you can still go to Juilliard and dance ballet and she's like so true okay I'll do it <laughs> I'm also just like, if I were Derek, I'd be like, she should stop dancing. And go to therapy for uh, for at least a few months. Seriously. 
Well, also, like, if I was the superstitious type, which I am, I'd be like, seems like every time this girl auditions for Juilliard, someone she loves dies. And she wants me to show up to that audition? I'm not going. Yeah. I'm going to Georgetown. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm just like, they're going to. I guess that's just a high school couple, but I'm like, you guys are going to break up soon, unfortunately. I'm surprised they didn't have him go to a school in New York. Yeah, to imply that they would like stay together. The plot did not give them a chance. Because Georgetown is in DC? Is that? Yeah. Okay, okay. I guess not too far, but yeah. After all they've been through, a long distance relationship, it just seems cruel. Right. Anyway, so she is like, okay, fine, I'll dance again. And this is when they have their first on-screen kiss. Then she takes out her ballet shoes and puts them on for the first time since her mom died. And she learns that Juilliard is holding auditions in Chicago in one month. So she starts prepping and getting into shape, which includes ballet classes. And it also includes Derek continuing to teach her hip-hop dance then we see them at steps again doing some of the choreography they practiced and people are watching yeah i'm like are they rehearsing to go to steps because that's (laughs) so like if true that is like maybe they really did find each other because that is like the dorkiest thing (laughs) in the world that's so cute and weird i mean i don't know if this happens or not but i feel like when you go to a dance club you don't do choreography that you practiced in a random classroom y'all have not gone to clubs with dancers let me tell you something mm. the girls the <laughs> yeah, girls fair. will bust out the choreo oh the dance circle yeah i spent a lot of time in my early 20s going to clubs with dancers that it was always a thing they wouldn't bust okay. out like choreo that they learned in class but they definitely would bust out stuff where you're like can you practice this yeah <laughs> This feels a bit rehearsed. Do you rehearse for a party? (laughs) Okay, well, I stand corrected then. Um, (laughs) I'm just here (laughs) to be the reference for black and dance, you know? (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so everyone's like watching their choreography and they're like, oh my gosh, wow, look at Sarah go. Except Nikki, who cuts in and starts dancing with Derek. She's putting her butt all over him. And Sarah gets jealous and leaves the dance floor. So I love that turn of phrase, Caitlin. <laughs> I know. She's putting her butt all over him. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, she is. Am I wrong? <laughs> not, you're no, not no, wrong. you're correct. You're not wrong. I just didn't expect the words in that order. Yeah, exactly. The way they came together. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry. She can do it. She puts her ass into it. Every time you quote the lyrics, you do it so reluctantly. Well, that time I did that on purpose. Okay, good. Okay, okay. It was a callback. Oh, we love a callback. You're right, you're right, you're right. Putting her ass onto it, right? We need a a remix of the song. You can do put your ass all over it. All over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what you said, yes. (laughs) Okay, so Nikki is dancing with Derek now. Sarah is off to the side and Malachi approaches Sarah to be like, stay away from Derek. Whitey. (laughs) (laughs) He calls her, he's oil, you milk. (laughs) (laughs) 
that does definitely happen okay oh my goodness so then derek comes over and he's like babe what's the matter we were just dancing it's no big deal i would never do anything to hurt you and she's like teehee okay so then they go back to her place and she's like my, my jazz, jazz dad? dad is out jazzing all night. My she jazz plays- dad is out jazzing all night with Kim Control. She's there scatting. He looked at all the he dogs and he looked at all the she dogs. The town never knew such a hullabaloo. Oh my, I didn't know you had it memorized. Is that little dog Ray had to do one For listeners who are not aware, we were referring to a video where Kim Cattrall scats with her jazz husband. Yes. And his double bass, his upright bass. (laughs) Yes. And it's maybe the most uncomfortable thing that one could watch. Uh, Anyway. So he's out jazzing away. He is while his daughter's fucking Yeah. Because the they house. have sex in the living room because that's like where her bedroom is right now. She's sleeping on the couch. They fuck on the couch, presumably, and we don't talk about that enough. Anyway. Okay, then we see a couple scenes where Derek is hanging out with Malachi and some other guys, and they're judging him for dating a white girl. Then They're playing basketball and there's a drive-by shooting because Malachi is in the middle of this turf war. Luckily, no one is hurt, but Malachi is going to have to retaliate later on. Mm -hmm. And then this is juxtaposed. This drive-by shooting basketball scene is juxtaposed with Sarah and Nikki also playing basketball in gym class, but they're getting into a scuffle. Nikki is like, I don't like white girls like you getting in my way and taking my men. So they get into this fight. And later at Steps, Malachi is trying to get Derek involved in that like kind of retaliation scheme. Malachi insults Sarah because she's standing right there. And so Derek punches him. Then there's a scene where Sarah goes with Chenille and her baby to a doctor's appointment. And Chenille is like, hey, Sarah, I think Nikki has a point about white women being with black men. And Mm -hmm. Sarah doesn't get it. She doesn't want to hear it. And she leaves. Cut to Sarah working with Derek on her Juilliard audition. And he's like, oh, let's go to this like couples only night at Steps. And she's reluctant to go. And she's not even sure they should be together at this point because it seems like no one wants them to be together. They argue and ultimately break up. So then Derek approaches Malachi to be like, oh, sorry, I punched you. Let's be friends again. Malachi is like, great. I need you to show up and help me at my turf war. And Derek is like, yeah, I'll be there. I'm like, Derek, Georgetown, Derek, come on. Are you kidding? Meanwhile, Sarah keeps working on her audition, but it's not going well. Her auditions the following day, she has a tender moment with her dad, who I've mostly left out of the recap, but he is in the movie and we can bring him up. He's like, I'm sorry I did too much jazz and not enough dad. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, I forgive you, sort of. And that's it. I mean, I know that it seems like her parents were divorced for some time, but I was sort of like 
Wow, he does not care that his child's mother is very suddenly dead. He's like showing no. He's like, well, sucks. Life is hard. It was giving one night stand. It was giving, we were 19, we hooked up, she had you. And I was like, I got to go jazz. I can't do this. I can't. (laughs) He was not even pretending to care. He was not, no. Good for jazz, dad. Anyway, so she's like, I just miss mom so much. And... I need someone who loves me to be at my audition. And Jazz Dad is like, well, I love you. I could come. And she's like, "Ah, really? (laughs) Then we see Chenille admitting to Derek that she had told Sarah that she agreed with Nikki that black men shouldn't date white women. And Derek realizes that's probably why Sarah was so confused about her relationship with Derek. So he calls the thing off with Malachi and rushes to Sarah's audition. The audition is once again intercut with Malachi and his minions. It's true. (laughs) Kevin Stewart, Bob, everyone's there. (laughs) They're all there. So we see them shooting at the other people who they're in this like turf war with. But Malachi and his minions get caught and arrested and also their car explodes. So it's like, again, if you're in a car while Sarah is auditioning for Juilliard, <laughs> there's going to be a catastrophe. That was like, I was like, truly, like people get into auto wrecks <laughs> while she's trying to achieve Sarah, her dreams. stop this. Your dancing hurts people. <laughs> literally yeah like be honest like it's not worth it and you know it you know it (laughs) yeah you're not good enough to justify all these people's cars exploding lives are it's you're not yeah you're not barishnikov there's my there's my yes you're dead yeah wow try not to pass out at that really good (laughs) reference i just dropped oh too late i'm already passing out caitlin's throwing up (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway so malachi has gotten arrested meanwhile at the audition sarah messes up right away and she's like i'm not ready but then derek bursts in and he runs to the stage he's like you can do it so she starts again and at first it seems like traditional ballet but then it becomes a blend of ballet and hip-hop and Mm. the judges are like whoa what is this music (laughs) she's doing a little hip-hop oh my god (laughs) yeah they're like the judges are like what is that she's like they went from frowning to smiling (laughs) it's just a little (laughs) hip-hop and then the judge who hates her is like welcome to juilliard oh i can't say this on the record welcome to juilliard which Chelsea and I, when we watch this movie, we were as musicians who've like auditioned for Juilliard and all these other schools like that are like known in our community, but not necessarily known outside of it. Mm Because we both trained as classical singers. Mm -hmm. We were like, bitch, first off, you're not getting into the school because your audition sucked. You had somebody (laughs) burst in during your audition. The audacity of that. Yeah. Third... The judges are never going to look that mean to you. They want you to succeed. They're not frowning and looking at you. They're like, mm-hmm. hey, okay. They're concentrated or they're smiling because they want you to do well. Because they don't want to be yeah. seeing shitty performances. Thirdly, no judge ever. Especially after not seeing all the other auditions would say, I can't say this on the record. Welcome to Juilliard. <laughs> He's not the only one on that panel. 
Oh, sorry. That just drove me nuts. <laughs> that drove me Un- nuts. Real. <laughs> Unreal. We just covered Flashdance as well. And she also whiffs the beginning of her audition. She's like, can I start yeah. again? But the twist was Flashdance is we don't even know if she gets in because the movie doesn't give a shit. They just want her to date <laughs> a 40-year-old man. Yeah. But this one is interesting. Yeah, because it's like I never registered the disruption as a kid. I'm like, well, of course that's going to happen. <laughs> but as an adult, you're like, wow, they do not relent like they're like hey you can't be in here and then she's like no let him in and then he comes on stage on stage it was wow they really found each other they're weirdos (laughs) (laughs) i wrote in my notes you need someone to go to the audition with you girl you ain't cut out for this business because listen right maybe it was a salty bitterness of me of like pursuing my dreams without my parents permission but like my parents didn't even know if I had auditions for shit. I take myself there on the bus, mm-hmm. did it, and went back home. Like, I don't... <laughs> I'm sorry. I, anyway, maybe it's I... So... I, yeah, no. I well, it's like she's also, too codependent. She's too codependent. And yeah. it's frustrating. Like, not for nothing. I'd be mortified if someone I liked or like someone who I cared about was at an audition. I'm like, leave me to the wolves that yeah. you'll never know don't watch me don't yeah. look at me you don't need to perceive this okay i'll yeah. tell you about it and tell you about it from my delusional fantasy where they loved me yeah. but like exactly do not be where i room. was robbed i can't have anyone uh, yeah. know that i was not in fact robbed <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness okay so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to discuss It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And where shall we start? Khadija, is there anything that you would like to say? Me and this evil witch is like, (laughs) so many things. (laughs) Okay, rich text. Firstly, Nikki, I didn't believe Bianca Lawson had this much attitude. And I didn't believe her as the character. It almost felt like she was like, do I really got to say all this? You coming up in here, stealing our men. And her neck, I was like, give her something Mm. for that. Because her neck kept rolling and she kept talking about like, okay, sorry. Maybe this is a, sorry, there's so many things. Maybe the early 2000s. Take take your time. (laughs) Thank you. Maybe the early 2000s were a different time. But, you know, I personally have never been around a group of black dudes, at least then hearing my older brother's friends talk about white women and later that would be that angry about you being with a white person. Mm. Usually they're like, you got a white girl. Look at you. Oh, you think you big money now? Like, that's the kind of shit. Not all of them would say, but some of them would say. So all of them being like, God, white women are trouble. I mean, maybe now that's a conversation happening because of Jonathan Majors, but it's also like, Mm. Was the white woman to trouble or were you to trouble? Anyway, you know what? You know what? It's it's a complicated topic. It's very complicated yeah. that the movie is not equipped to discuss meaningfully no. in any way. They shouldn't have introduced it. Like, no. I get maybe the one scene of the lady, the white lady in the train looking at them could mm-hmm. have been a way to just do it. And like, that would have been the only instance they really brought up of it. But of course, you know, movies have to have conflict instead of the conflict being I'm working through my trauma of my mom dying and dance and all of that. It's I'm kind of working through that. But mostly I like this guy that I become codependent with, but he's black and I'm white. And this is 2001 and we're not supposed to be together. Right. So it has to. And I feel like it's I hope I'm phrasing this correctly, but it's, I feel like the movie does a lot of stuff to make sarah seemed to be the oppressed person like they go so far Mm -hmm. into the revert like they're like well racism affects white girls as well and you're like no uh and this never like really registered 
for me until I was watching it this time, but it's like you see a lot of black characters judging white characters, but you don't really see the reverse very much in the world of this movie. And so it comes off very weird. Right. Yeah. Because there's a way to me, there is a conversation there of, yeah, like the colorism of it all, the joke that I made about Derek maybe being a colorist or like Mm -hmm. uh, just the idea that you're in a space. And I'm glad that Chanel pointed out when she was talking to Derek, she was like, you know, I was really upset with Kenny. So I was just really annoyed. And it was saying it from a place of anger, less about like the actual relationship and more so just like I was mad because my baby daddy's out here acting wild. And I'm glad that at the end of it, he showed up and they both said hey to each other. And it was like, a, hey, we're going to try to figure this out as opposed to a, you got to ain't shit, baby daddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the black girls are stuck with, what did she say? You come in taking our men after jail Jail, drugs, and drive-bys, maybe? Yeah, jail, drugs, Mm -hmm. and drive-bys. I was just like, okay, I get it. You know, different neighborhoods, especially because we're talking about poor Black folks. So there's a different dynamic there, too. It was just like, all Black people are poor and live in this part of Chicago. And because of that, they don't relate. Like, even when her friend is on the phone with her and it's like, you have white guys at your school? That's the only time you hear a white person be kind of, and the white lady looking at them. It's the only time you hear a white person be kind of like, what? And she doesn't say it because she's secretly embarrassed or what? I don't know. Like, does she answer her when she asks her that? She says, because she's like, I met someone and her friend assumes that the only guy that she would date would be a white guy. And she's like, oh, I didn't know they had white guys at your school. And she's like, they don't. Right. But doesn't necessarily <laughs> clarify that the guy that she met is not white. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's like you don't even see that character. Like none of the white characters that are, we don't know the lady on the train. She's like racism, the lady. And then they racism vanquish the, yes. racism, yeah. the lady, and then kind of like move forward where it's like sometimes we have like patriarchy, the guy where it's like you just have to get rid of this one guy yep. and you've solved it, which is like, you know, movie logic but like her dad doesn't seem to have you know an issue with her dating Derek but also he doesn't give a shit about her so I don't know yeah or he does it but like when he's at the door and she's like now's not a good time and he leaves but I'm like is it because he's black or because he's dating her or I was like are we gonna explore this I mean he's a jazz musician living in the south side of Chicago he probably knows black people I should hope but you know, right. white people stole jazz too. So I mean, yes. So I'm like, you know, but we don't ever explore anything besides Doesn't yeah, racism, anywhere. the lady and reverse racism, Nikki. <laughs> like, right. I mean, there might be a world where this could conceivably happen. But even just Sarah, who comes from what appears to be a predominantly white suburban or more rural community, Going to the south side of Chicago. She was in Vermont. They did that on purpose. (laughs) They were like, what's the whitest place? (laughs) Right. Mm. Being suddenly immersed in a predominantly black community. And for her to just be like, yeah, I'm so cool with this. I fit in right away because of all the attitude I'm giving. And it's also like, okay, that implication is also pretty messed up. I was like, yeah, I'm glad that like the black girls are having some fun, but it's all attitude and neck rolling. And I'm like, the w- one scene at the beginning when she's with the black nerds and they're all sitting at the table being like, we are the future. I was like, representation matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, even I... Chanel being like, don't let me catch you sitting at that table again. It's like, see, 
High school wow. is high school. <laughs> it, it, yeah. yeah. The clicks are there. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, this movie ends up just being about a white girl suddenly finding herself in this black community and being like, oh, that's just a little hip hop. Well, I'll learn that. And then I'll basically appropriate everything that is near me. She starts dressing differently. She starts like wearing her hair in twists and braids. And And she starts wearing Tim's. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was the turning point in the movie. She put on those Timberlands (laughs) and she was like slamming. (laughs) <laughs> she says slamming so much. She says slamming a lot. Could you? I forget if this was from your video, but like I also watched Kenny JD's video about <laughs> Save the Last Dance that came out recently, which was really, really funny. But like the legacy of like movies where that this feels like very clearly placed in where it's like a white character like works through some external issue in their lives by briefly being in a predominantly black community. This is a story of Taylor's oldest time. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Hayden Panettiere in Bring It On. Mm-hmm. Is it mm. the second or third one? With Solange I... Knowles in it when she's crumping? Oh, God. I want to I wanna I've only say seen the first one, too. so I couldn't oh! say. This is basically Save the Last Dance, but... Hayden Panettiere and she goes to a predominantly black school. Bring it on all or nothing. Yes, bring it on all or nothing. She goes to a predominantly black school and cheers there. And Mm. the black girls roll their necks and do not like her. And then she shows that she can do it by doing white mediocre dancing, (laughs) which I'm going to be honest, in Canada at least, I'll see at the clubs. Like we'll all be dancing, having a good time. You turn around, a white girl does like a little booty pop and a group of black guys are like, hey, Hey, I'm like, girl, girl. It's not that special. It's we all need to calm down. So they're emboldened by this. But I think the thing that the major theme that I really got from this was I do not trust Hollywood in general, but I do not trust Hollywood to make movies like this, because even Mm -hmm. if they had a white guy write it and then a black woman come in to like sort it out, it's still Hollywood depictions of what they expect an audience to want and appreciate as opposed to depictions informed by real people. Cause like, I'm not against hearing black people talk with attitude or roll their necks or whatever. Like I, P Valley is one of my favorite shows. And I think Mm -hmm. it does a really good job of depicting Southern folks that I grew up around and heard talk black and white, but predominantly black and like the different race relations in there too. I don't know. It just feels like more grounded in reality when I watch that show mm-hmm. and the difference of when I hear a black person writing it and a black person of a certain age writing for it, like insecure and rap shit and stuff like that versus yeah. an older white man writing this dance movie because dance movies were popular in the early 2000s. And then they're like, oh, we need it to look better. So let's have this black woman. I don't know how involved she was in it. So I don't want to like yeah. discredit her, mm-hmm. but it's also like, yeah, I'm just like, Hollywood, I'm giving you side eye. And I know the actors only have but so much control because they're like, listen, a gig is a gig. Let me just come over here and say these damn lines, get my money mm-hmm. and go. Right. But yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of information I was able to find about the like production of this movie. I was really mm-hmm. hoping for like an oral history kind of piece on this movie, but it doesn't seem like one exists, which is really frustrating because this movie and a lot of teen movies feels like studio notes to within an inch of its life to the point where it's like incoherent at certain parts. And it seems like whole scenes or like storylines are kind of dropped. 
But I was honestly surprised that this movie has a black director and a black co-writer because it just seems so all over the place. And I wish I knew because the na- the name of the director, I think he's predominantly a TV director TV. before yeah. this mm. named Thomas Carter, Carter, who side note, I thought it was just really funny. He's like, when I saw Julia Stiles dance in 10 Things I Hate About You, I knew she had to be in this. I'm like, did you? <gasps> That's wild. She danced uh, in 10 Things I Hate About You? Yeah, there's that scene where she gets up on the table at a party and starts dancing. And again, I would say, like, not particularly well. Right. I'm just like, it's not... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. sorry. I'm going to say the thing that I probably shouldn't say in mixed company, but here we go. Older <laughs> no, black go men of it. a certain age, y'all y'all be giving a little too much. You, th- <laughs> what? What is this? What? You saw Julius... I'm sorry. There are plenty of white girls out there that could have done a lot more and not been... Like, I think Julia Stiles played it well in how stiff she was, especially, like, in the beginning. You notice little things with how she puts her feet, how she stands, you know, the ballet training. Like, I think Mm -hmm. she, that was directed well, and I think she really did that well. But it was still just, like, even when they're doing the dance and they're doing the steps and whatever, I was just like, girl, Derek dropped into the splits, flipped back up. He was doing B-boy stuff. What was she doing? Yeah, it's just like it does feel like this movie is directed by someone much older than the age demographic, which is true. He was almost 50 when he directed this. Not trying to be ageist with the direction, but when you're making a movie for teenagers, you should like talk to one. You should talk to one. (laughs) You should also (laughs) talk to a few. Yeah, you're bringing in the baggage of like two generations removed. Right from the target demo and the actors in the movie and so yeah you're like bringing in this kind of like generational baggage from a bygone era and all of this is happening in 2001 which is like you know over 20 years ago now so like it (laughs) despite the movie having a black director and having a black co-writer the sole story by credit goes to Dwayne Adler who is a white man a black woman named Cheryl Edwards has a co-screenwriting credit with Dwayne Adler, but we're not quite sure to what extent she was involved when there are like, you know, co-screenplay credits. That could mean any number of things. It could mean that they both wrote separate drafts. It could mean that they collaborated together on drafts. It could mean that she was just brought in to rewrite the dialogue which is honestly, I feel like probably the most likely thing where like his dialogue just didn't sound authentic at all. And so she, although I'm completely speculating, you know, don't quote me on this. And he goes on to make this a cottage industry. Like Dwayne Adler. That's the reason why I was sideways because he did a lot of these fucking Uh movies. Yeah, he found something that worked and just relentless save the last dance the way she moves don't remember that one step up save the last dance Two. step up to the streets make it happen i don't know what that is step up 3d step up revolution step up all in he makes like a billion step up dollars after Mm. this because he's like uh yeah i think i get kids and movies and you're like Dwayne I'm (laughs) not sure i'm not not so sure Dwayne the kids just want to dance to a little (laughs) hip-hop So, yeah, I mean, despite the movie having a few black creatives in like significant roles, significant creative roles, as you point out in your video essay, Khadija, like this movie still has kind of like the stink of written by a white person all over it. It's Hollywood white gaze. (laughs) 
G-A-Z-E, not the Hollywood white gays. (laughs) Because I always have to clarify that. Not Andy Cohen. (laughs) Well... Andy Cohen, that's well, a whole other that's a whole other conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have time. But I mean, just yeah, the way that this story ends up panning out as far as like she ends up in this predominantly black space. She starts just basically appropriating the culture. Anytime anyone calls her out for any behavior, she doesn't learn anything from it. She takes it as an attack. And then she's just like, Well, I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do. And then she ends up incorporating the things that she learned from Derek into her like ballet audition for Juilliard. So it's like, yeah, me, a white woman, I'm going to introduce hip hop to Juilliard. And then the white judges are like, the twist oh my is God, bad. Amazing. But they they're- love it. And they're like, welcome to Juilliard. Yeah. And <laughs> well, and it's like, and I feel like it's also implied. And this like reminds me of a lot of the conversations from several years ago and still now of how like your Charlie D'Amelio's on TikTok would take and repost dances originally done by black users and then become super famous and, you know, make a bajillion dollars off of that appropriation. And it's like we don't get the feeling that at the end of this movie that like Sarah is going to continue doing hip hop and or that she's going to even continue like living in a predominantly black neighborhood. It's like she's used what she needs and now she's like going to it seems like cast it off and and move on because she's gotten what she wants a thing that i didn't talk about in my video essay that i am thinking about more now is how we package desirability because Mm -hmm. i think someone like a julia style she's pretty popular around that time as an actor Mm -hmm. and even now with like a charlie d'amelio or whatever like tiktok people talk about the algorithm and how it does like certain facial features certain looks even complexions like there is bias in its algorithm skin tone bias and all that stuff mm-hmm. we i think collectively people just like good music right and they just like something that is a vibe and a lot of hip-hop or r&b and all that stuff is a vibe it's the same thing in, re- in reverse like when you're like Black people, why do you love Paramore so much? It's like, leave me alone. (laughs) Hey, William Slat, don't do me. Like, I actually went through an emo phase. So, like, I know a lot of, like, pop punk girlies. But even Black people that do not listen to that type of music are like, no, no, no. They will sing Misery Business top to bottom and be like, the shit slaps, you know? And Haley Williams is a great singer. And she's a lot of, uh, she grew up in the South. She's a lot of different inspirations. Anyway, for me, the thing, and this is my own bias. I'm speaking from my own perspective. Black people are not a monolith. I tend to view it sometimes as, like, when I've been around other black folks and stuff, if you're talented, if you're good, if you're whatever, we'll recognize that. That's it. Like, you just have to be good. Like, Renee Rapp was singing Dangerously in Love with Jennifer Hudson on her show. And so many of the comments were like, Jennifer, how are you going to let this girl eat you up like that? Jennifer. Ooh. You know? And so it's just like, if you're good, the shit's good. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. But mm-hmm. I think with white audiences, and this is a question I've asked a lot, it's, Will white audiences show up to things where they are not the center of attention or they are not centered in it? And how do we do introduce this style of music, even though hip hop was very popular in the 90s and 2000s? That was like the biggest Mm -hmm. time. And this is a question I don't really know the answer to. My speculation, and I speculate this a lot in videos, is that a lot of us need to work on practicing our empathy muscles when it comes to putting ourselves in the perspective of a character who we don't look like. And for For a lot of 
darker skinned folks, black and brown people, especially if you grow up in this part of the world, you are used to seeing media that does not look like you a lot, but you can still empathize with the characters. Like Interstellar is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of black people in it, sure, but like it's not about black people or anything like that. It's just a story about love, you know? <laughs> so like, and I fucking love it. But I think not enough audience members, like particularly not enough white folks, will mm-hmm. watch or invest in movies and TV shows where it's not for them, quote unquote, or they're not centered in it. Totally. Which is why like we'll have a whole separate black genre of movies where I'm like, if I say to a black person, the family fucked my husband. They know exactly, <laughs> I'm talking about soul food. They know, you know? <laughs> but like you ask a white person if they see soul food and a lot of times they're like, what? Or one of my friends has seen The Color Purple. He's white. He's seen The Color Purple way too many times. More times than I've seen it. And I was always like, I'm sorry, Kevin, what? You've seen The Color Purple eight, what? Like, and it even surprises me because I'm not used to white folks not centering themselves and practicing that empathy muscle of consuming media that isn't necessarily catered to them, that doesn't have them in mind, but is still about people. Totally. Like, uh, and this is something that I've had to, contend with in my own like movie watching Mm. journey where that's just so much of what's available are white centered stories so Mm -hmm. they're just so ubiquitous that if you go to the movies or if you want to watch a movie nearly 10 out of 10 times it's going to be a white centered story which is why white people do have to almost deliberately seek out or like they have to kind of put in a more conscious effort and most of them simply don't yeah it's you don't think about it you don't know what you don't know so from a like compassionate place yeah you don't know what you don't know so you don't know that you're missing a whole genre but also from a girl you got internet access and same wi-fi we all do like if you don't (laughs) if you don't want to put yourself in those positions to watch those movies where you might not get all the references or you might not like understand certain things then you're not going to i'm someone who loves diverse stories and stuff so i'll watch a whole bunch of shit I don't know nothing about living in Ireland back during the 90s, but Dairy Girls is fucking hilarious. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. you know, but also Irish people, gang, gang, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it does kind of challenge like when you were saying like, well, what it means when you say like a movie is for you versus it's not where I feel like a lot of white audience members will look at a movie and be like, well, it's not for me because I don't see myself yeah. in it, so it's not for me whereas mm-hmm. like the true meaning of that is like i don't like that genre generally or that's like not a director i like but i think that yeah that white audience members are so default and like i've done this in the past and had to like call myself in and be like yeah just because you can't see yourself in it does not mean it's not for you you fucking yeah. loser and, oh. yeah. <laughs> It started. It started kind. It was like call it, and then it was like you fucking broke buck tooth bitch. Like, well, that's, that's self talk. You fucking piece of shit. But no, I always try to tell people in my videos like you need to be intentional about consuming different things because media is not a place where you go to for creativity. It's mm-hmm. not thinking outside the box. It's not a vision. They're packaging and selling to you what they think you want. And when they find somebody else that is willing to do something else and be creative and other people like it, they jump on that, you know, like the Barbie movie, it made all the money. So now they're like, okay, we're going to jump on stuff like that too, because clearly the audience wants it, but they weren't going to just make that movie. People had Mm -hmm. to 
fight them for it to be made. It had to have, uh, if they were going to have a female director, it had to be someone like Greta, who is well known because they're not mm-hmm. just going to take a chance. You know what I mean? It's just very like mm. the audience dictates a lot of things and we don't give ourselves enough power or enough agency to say, if I actually want to go out of my way and purposely start supporting other things and investigating other things, I can do that. And the media and all that stuff will follow if more of us are doing that. Like, mm-hmm. right. I purposely diversify when I was on Instagram. I'm taking a bit of a break right now. But when I was on there, I have made a conscious effort to follow accounts of people with different body shapes, different abilities, all of that. Because I'm like, I need to put in my face and see difference and be comfortable mm-hmm. with that. It's like a lack of repeated exposure. The more that I expose myself to difference, the different ways that human beings can come in, the more I value human life, no matter what it looks like, the more I'm able to see any type of story that somebody tells. And I see the humanity of that person in myself, no matter what they, and I know that there are certain things I won't be able to relate to specifically because of their identity. And I don't want to discount that, but I also think we use that as an excuse to not try to put ourselves in other people's shoes because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to step on toes. And it's like, you can love people for the square fact that they are people and not need to step on toes and all this other stuff. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. No, totally. Yeah, and like having it be like, again, just like having the prerequisite be that something needs to be relatable for you to be able to connect with it, which is absolutely not true. Bitch, stretch out your brain muscles and try that. (laughs) Like, stop this, y'all. I I teach in my screenwriting classes, brag. I teach screenwriting classes. Hey, you can go to my hey. website, caitlindurante.com and sign up for them. Centering yourself. Centering <laughs> yourself, <laughs> like, girly. I say one of the reasons that theme is so important as a writer to be like cognizant of what theme you're putting forth is because like we relate to stories not because the characters have the same exact experience that we do, mm-hmm. but because those movies explore universally relatable themes that can be told mm-hmm. via any person any type of person Mm -hmm. from any background but the thing about privilege is that it tends to warp your brain Mm. and the more privilege you have and the more positions of privilege that you occupy and especially if you're just not an inherently empathetic person you Mm -hmm. allow that to warp you and to just turn an eye to anyone who doesn't share that same privilege as you so that's why i think so many white people are like well, this movie is about black people. Well, how could I possibly relate? This is not for me. There is no world in which I could relate to any of these storylines or any of these right, characters. Right, where you're like, I can't relate with this. I'm like, you haven't seen the movie. You don't, you don't know, know that. that. Like, you're... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very fresh. And then Save the Last Dance is an interesting case study because the cast is predominantly black, but because mm-hmm. the protagonist is a white person, you know, you discussed this in your video as well, but... It just means that now it's a bunch of black characters propping up a white protagonist and being there to support this white narrative and this white girl's, you know, (laughs) struggle of self-actualization. Like, and that's the thing that bothers me the most. It's always this like privilege will give you, like you said, it warps your brain and it gives you this navel gazing thing where everything is about you and everything Mm -hmm. is personal. Like people calling out the way the world is. When she, she, she's like, open up your pretty brown eyes and look at the world. Like, mm-hmm. you live in a different world than me. Instead of taking that as an opportunity to look inwards more, it's, well, I want to be with this guy. And like, obviously, these are all teenagers. So like, okay. Yeah, but at the sure. same time, like, 
privilege kind of infantilizes you too. Sure, absolutely. You you really don't, and difficult things become way too hard to deal with. Because I'm like, Derek's mama, he doesn't know where she is. They don't know. Yeah. Chanel is in high school and has a baby. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you lost your mom, and that is very difficult. I'm not going to ever discount that, because losing a parent is so difficult. Mm-hmm. But they also lost their parent and are dealing with other stuff and are poor. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, mm-hmm. girl, right. like... But it's an expectation. It's who, what bodies, what types of bodies and people do we expect to be in those positions versus the ones that we don't. And I think this also works with like Western audiences. If you live in America and Canada and you're the type of person that doesn't like to watch international movies because you can't relate, you could relate to many international, quote unquote, international films. It's international because you don't live in that part of the world. But anyway, like, right. I think about that with the movie Cuties because I always will defend this movie and people will always look at me sideways Ooh, and be like, come back and be- talk about Cuties. Ooh. Oh, ah, please have me back for Cuties. I got so <laughs> much to say because I am Gambian and the story is about a Senegalese girl. Gambia is inside of Senegal. It's a lot of similar cultures. Like I could watch the movie without subtitles because I could understand the language they were speaking when it wasn't mm. French. But yeah, she did a lot of work to try and talk to actual girls that age, interviewed a bunch of them, had a psychologist on set, all this other stuff. And people in France and in Senegal were like, yeah, this is a good movie. Like, it's pretty, you know, whatever. But people here were like, how dare you? Look at what you've done to the children and blah, 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 blah. Like freaking out about this stuff and mm. trying to guise it under, well, I'm never going to watch that movie because it's just groomer behavior and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, y'all have adults playing teenagers in TV shows having sex with teachers and you use it to justify that it's okay because they're adults and you don't see the problem with that, mm-hmm. but you see an issue with this. You'll use any excuse right. to not consider other perspectives when it challenges the way you see the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, please come back and talk about cuties. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I want to rewatch it. The um, drama around that movie. Lord. Yeah. Oh, I remember. With Sarah, yeah, I I feel like she does have a problem and like she has something to work through to the extent that she's like lost her mom and she's lost a parent. Mm -hmm. But like you're saying, Khadija, like her problem or that what she's working through is just more important. It's just more important. And the world has to bend to ushering her through that problem where like Sarah is present but she doesn't take initiative to help any of her friends through their problems. And the movie doesn't have that expectation of her. Mm-hmm. Like the, the movie keeps being like, she's the most amazing girl to ever live. And you're just like, <laughs> she's going through something, but she's like, certainly not, you know, like she's really, really not. And I feel like we see a lot of people in the movie apologizing to her profusely. Yes! Even at the end when Chanel apologized to her, like we still cool. Oh. I'm like, okay. Maybe Chanel didn't, shouldn't have been that. Like, you get into a tiff with your friends. She shouldn't have, especially agree with Nikki. It's like, that's the enemy, bitch. You agree with my op. But even the way Sarah's like, yeah, we're cool, but still has an attitude. I'm like, bitch. You owe her an apology as well. Like, it's just like, it's really, yeah. Like, the world bends to solve Sarah's problem and solve Sarah's life while, like, playing into a lot of stereotypes that just, like, the whole thing is really undercooked, it feels like. <laughs> yes, that's a good yeah. word. And again, it's a white protagonist, but a predominantly black cast otherwise. But I think like this movie was so popular 
and like popular among my age bracket. And I don't know if young people are still, (laughs) but we probably not. But I feel like they're like, okay, how do we make this movie that has a predominantly black cast palatable to a mainstream white audience? Exactly. And it feels like the movie just caters to that constantly. Because again, like Sarah is very rarely challenged Anytime someone does challenge her, she just like gets up and walks away and doesn't do any introspection or like, again, she doesn't learn or grow except when it comes to learning hip hop. And then she just, which arguably she doesn't, which she doesn't do very well either. But like the story is told in such a way where it's like, okay, this is palatable for white audiences because we're just watching her kind of just do whatever she wants, appropriate whatever she wants, not learning lessons along the way, even though they're like, friend of the show, Jordan Searles has a piece called White Girls, Better Black Women and Save the Last Dance, where she talks about how Chenille was like done so dirty and has like good points and is actually challenging Sarah and saying like look around you you're taught that there's only one world but like black people know differently and rather than like Sarah being like hmm maybe there's something to this maybe I should you know look at this from a different point of view she just like gets up and leaves the crowded medical facility that they're in. And she's just like, well, this is making me uncomfortable. So I have to leave. It's like, you came with me to this appointment. I'm asking you for help. Also, girl, open up pretty brown eyes. You over here sitting here worried about your jewelry audition. I got a baby that I need to take care of. Yeah. Dad is trying my patience every two minutes. Mm -hmm. It's like people will often depict black women as bitter, but not go into why they might be bitter. For sure. Why Why am I upset? Why am I angry? Because I don't think being bitter or angry is a bad emotion to have. I'm like, mm-hmm. lean into the anger, lean into your villain era, like feel your feelings. But why is it that me feeling those feelings makes you so uncomfortable mm-hmm. to the point where you have to walk away or you step away or I have to come and apologize to you? No, bitch. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling something. I'm upset about it. You're lucky I'm telling you and talking right. to you about it instead of either ignoring you but she refuses to engage and that's the thing with a lot of like yeah I always test white folks that are I are new to my life with how I can engage with them on topics about race because I'm like I'm not gonna act like race isn't a thing like obviously I want to see people as people I'm a humanist you know (laughs) but I'm also live in the real world and try to think practically and so if anytime I'm talking to you about racial issues or things happening to people in different parts of the world and you, your immediate response is to disengage to like, I can't. Mm-hmm. You're showing me that you can't deal with hard things or you don't want to, you choose to not deal with hard things, which you're allowed to when you have a certain amount of privilege, when you live mm-hmm. even in a certain part of the world, when you have a certain amount of income. So then I just know that you're not for me. And I could not be friends with Sarah because I'd be like, girl, Oh, yeah. Nikki was annoying for what she said, but she said she has a bit of a point. She like, sorry, she does. She does. A broke clock is right twice a day. (laughs) And Sarah refuses to even consider that there's any truth to what Nikki's saying, to what Shanil's saying. And just, I don't know, has this like superhuman ability to make the takeaway from every scene be about her. (laughs) You know what it is? Oh, my God. Okay, I had a I 
have a few biracial friends and one of them, one of my best friends, she says that her fear is always, her mom is white and her dad is black. Her fear is always that her mom would say some shit like, I'm not racist, I have black children. Like that's always her deep fear. And I had never thought of that before because I'm not biracial. And I remember being like, oh my God, that is actually, because people will, Sarah thinks that she is standing in resistance and solidarity and defiance because she is dating a black guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's giving Kim Kardashian when she wrote that letter about, oh my God, I'm going to have black children and I can't believe that the world will treat them this oh way. And God. Chris was like, really proud of you, Kim. And I was like, girl, uh. <laughs> <laughs> your children are so fucking wealthy. Your kids are not, go- not to say that they might not, they're going to deal with stuff, whatever. But like, your kids that will be able to have security and get driven in black tinted out window cars mm. everywhere. Those are the black kids you're worried about. Yeah. I managed to wipe that that statement from my mind. I forgot Sorry. about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, but there is this phenomenon of, you know, white people being like, well, I can't be racist. I have a black friend or I'm dating right. a black guy or I I'm like, you do know. you know a black person or are you actually friends with them? Because like a lot of y'all know black people, but are you actually friends with? Do you hang any? out? Do you go to their house? Yeah. This is yeah. I'm like, and also you need to have more than like this is the other thing. You need to make a conscious effort. Of, some people you can't help where you live, right? Unless you have the money to move places. So if you mm-hmm. live in areas where you're only seeing black people, like you don't see black people that much, and the only interaction you have is through the media, mm-hmm. different types of media, not just TV shows and movies, advertising, whatever. When you meet a black person, you're using your frame of reference. What do you know about black people? Even if it's not you intentionally doing it, it's like a knee jerk response. We're always sussing out places, always trying to suss out information, whatever. If I had never seen a white person before and I watch movies all the time, white people in it. Girl, I'm using the stereotypes first because I'm like, is that are you going to be able to handle the spicy food? (laughs) You know, like shit like that. But yeah, I also have grown up in so many different types of environments where I've been in predominantly black spaces, predominantly Hispanic schools, predominantly white schools as well. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting when you note that people have never had to go out of their comfort zones in terms of their physical identity Mm. and how little we mix or integrate actually. I can speak to the experience of growing up in a predominantly white community. I grew up in a small rural town in Western Pennsylvania. There was very, very, very little racial or ethnic diversity. And of course I'm going to, and I did harbor racial biases growing up. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. And, And like you said, my frame of reference was the media I was consuming. And it wasn't until I went to college and actually like met and befriended people who weren't white and started to learn and interrogate and I had to do so much unlearning of like what I had learned as far as stereotypes and tropes and the idea of systemic racism was something I was only like peripherally understanding Mm -hmm. and familiar with and I had to do so much work to learn more about it so yes these are these are real things but the problem is that most people who do have this white privilege like we said, it warps them and they don't want to be bothered. They 
don't feel like it's their place to comment on it or to think about it. It doesn't affect them. So why would they, you know, spend the time to do anything like that? Yeah. And I mean, even conversely, I grew up in a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood. And that I because I feel like the way that this is presented is that like Julia Stiles, by being a white girl in a predominantly black space, that's all it takes to do the work is just by like mm-hmm. hanging out for a couple of weeks. And it's like, that's absolutely not true. There are white people in my community that are tremendously racist. Like mm-hmm. it's just feels like it's this very movie presentation that sets the bar. It like sub zero, like in the core of the earth to be <laughs> like, to actually have engaged with any issue on race, which Again, like we were talking about, Sarah doesn't. She does not engage. Like she's around. She but she combated that white lady in the train and that was it. That she was defeated really- racism <laughs> the lady. And you're just like it's just I don't know. I mean, I guess it does go back to your point, Khadija, of like it's just like unbelievably Hollywood and it's like <laughs> the problem of racism has to be solved. And it's like the stakes are the same as getting into Juilliard in spite of having no talent. And like (laughs) these are the two and they're equally important because fucking who knows? When you said you grew up in probably black and Hispanic neighborhood, I was like, I'm always fascinated by white people like that. Not because I'm like, what was that like? But just because I'm like, okay, like. So you you've grown up around in proximity to people and you felt what it has been like to be a minority, I think, more than anything. Too many people don't experience what it's like to be a minority somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so they don't ever consider, again, that practicing the empathy muscle of, oh, no, I get that, actually, because I know what it feels like on a human, as you were saying before, themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like a universal theme of feeling like a fish out of water, feeling out of place somewhere, feeling like the only whatever, whatever somewhere. A lot of people don't ever have to have that experience, even when we travel to places, you know, people will go to resorts and whatever, just so yeah. they don't have to be around the locals. And like, it's just kind of, you know, it's very like, we really don't like to let go of our, com- people don't like to be uncomfortable. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but that was before 9-11, baby. Then we got re- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> then everything changed. No, but like Sarah's like white discomfort <laughs> is something that we see throughout the movie and it's just like no it was actually fine for her to walk away from that conversation with chenille where chenille is making good points and but because it made sarah the white girl uncomfortable she has to leave and then it's actually chenille who owes sarah an apology by the end and it's just like for making her uncomfortable this is like off topic, but like I have some issues with how like self-care stuff is sort of presented, like Ooh. mental health there. I think that a lot of like mental health language has been co-opted to get people out of uncomfortable conversations they need to be having that they don't want to be I'm working on a having. video about therapy speak. Oh my Woo! God. Oh, that I is can't a, wait. That is it's a rant be, in my spirit. <laughs> it's going to be crash landed into my algorithm. That's like, it's. I mean, it is wild. I think that there is a like self-care lens you can apply to that Mm -hmm. scene where we're saying that Julia Stiles' character is clearly wrong, where it's like she had to protect her energy from the discomfort. She doesn't need to engage with that, which is just like telegraphing that like she doesn't need to engage with issues around race and poverty because they don't affect her. And you're just like, 
Well, I'm excited for that video. Thank you. Ma- poor Malachi. Okay, Malachi. Malachi deserved more too. Because yes. he was, there was a lot, there was masculinity, your respect, a particular mm-hmm. black masculinity. And what does that do? That expectation, especially when you don't have, as he's saying, like the smarts, like allegedly he doesn't have the smarts like Derek, like to mm-hmm. go to Georgetown. He's like, this is what I have. I'm like, okay, that's something. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But no, yeah. no. He's just a mean, I mean, he was abusive and terrible. So yeah, like, you know. Right. And it's like Malachi doesn't really have a chance with the audience because we see him being physically abusive to a student. But we don't see the nice part of him. We only hear that like he was willing to go to juvie for Derek, which is an admirable trait to do. Like he's like, they threw everything at him and he said, I'm not going to snitch. Like Mm -hmm. there could have been even that moment when he came to Julia Stiles, I forgot what had happened before I watched it. So I thought he was going to come up to her and try to like talk to her or like say something. I don't know. I just thought that maybe there was going to be a conversation there instead of just uh, your oil and milk. But I'm also (laughs) like, maybe... Maybe all of these characters are defensive and apprehensive around Julia because it don't seem like she wants to listen. So they're all like, bitch, right. you white. Right. Could be that. Yeah. And on top of that, she's weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's not very good at dancing. Yeah. <laughs> what I found interesting about that, especially the Malachi-Derek friendship, is something that I observe a lot among men and their friendships with each other is that someone who has seen a different side of a person will say like, hey, that guy was really shitty to me, or I saw that guy doing something really awful. Maybe you shouldn't be friends with him. And Mm -hmm. the guy's like, well, I haven't seen that. I've only seen the good side of him. So I don't believe you Mm -hmm. slash I don't think what you're saying is valid. This is a thing that I mean, just speaking to my experience as a comedian, there will be like male comedians who are singing the praises of another male comedian. I'll be like, oh, that's interesting because um, that guy like sexually harassed me. And then they're like, well, he was nice to me. So, yo, you are right. right. That is a point to bring up, too, because like that's the other thing. It's like I wish that they would have explored their friendship more so that at least we as the audience understand why Derek has such an allegiance to this guy that just seems like he hates women. In right. general, not just white women, but especially white women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the movie gloss is over that. Yeah. The, I feel like the way the Malachi character is handled is super messy, where it's like from it feels like the empathy that the movie has for him changes from scene to scene, depending on like yeah. what needs to happen in the scene. Mm-hmm. And so it just comes off super messy. Some of the lines he says are funny, such as that the black man's life, madness and mayhem. And I was like, what? The, what? This is the other thing. Uh, this is where. Sorry, go ahead. Before I just put a no, pin in that. I, that was the, the. That was the end of that particular thought. It just. I'm gonna sound like an angry, bitter black feminist, but like, <laughs> you know what? Actually, they deserved each other. Because one thing, black men will try to victimize themselves as much as white women will sometimes, and I'm just like, there, y'all, go ahead. Not obviously, I'm not talking about all black men or all white women, because I gotta say that, because y'all be like, yeah. But <laughs> truly, must be a day ending in why when a black man says that's a black man's world, madness and mayhem. So you, that's why you had that girl yoked up in the bathroom, right? Like, girl. That- Oh. I just yeah that <laughs> friendship felt like underexamined. I mean which gets to something that I was feeling sort of throughout the movie where it's like the movie has 
obviously an interest in Derek and in Chanel, but like not to the same extent that they're interested in Sarah. So there's stuff that mm-hmm. will be introduced to us mm-hmm. that kind of just goes away or the movie's attitude kind of flip flops because it seems like what's important to the movie is that Sarah's journey is on track and consistent. And so if things get a little sloppier to the characters around her, no big deal. I have a question for y'all. Do you know what the plot of Save the Last Dance to? Is it the same thing where it's another white girl that goes into a black area? And I've never seen it. I have no idea. So my understanding is that it's a continuation of Sarah's story, although it's not played by Julia Stiles. Mm, um, okay. So it's like, I think it's just Juilliard. Okay, wait, let me, I'm on the Wikipedia thing. Okay, so yes, she's at Juilliard. She's now played by Isabella Miko, who is in Coyote Ugly, apparently. Ooh, okay. love Coyote Ugly. Now, sorry, here's a sentence that jumped out at me. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she just gets a different black boyfriend at Juilliard. During orientation on her first day at Juilliard, Sarah meets Miles Sultana, who takes her for a trombone player. When she t- What? What does that mean? He, I don't know. I, it's he another thinks that she's a trombone player and not a ballet dancer? Yes. When she tells him she is there for ballet, he questions whether she is a ballerina. Sarah boldly states she's already a ballerina. She is there to become a prima ballerina. So she just dates another guy at Played Juilliard. by uh, Columbus Short. Yeah. Yes. Of course it's Columbus Short. <laughs> he was in all those dance moves. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Wait, is it him? Is he in Stomp the Yard? Yes. Is that him? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I fucking love Stomp the Yard. <laughs> This whole decade of dance movies, you're just oh, like, my God. Let's have fun again. Bring back the dance movie, oh, y'all. I know. Let's write one. Let's I do know. a dance movie. Oh, my dream movie, since you're a screenplay writer, I'm going to give you this idea. And like, if it ever comes to fruition, I just want a little percentage. Is <laughs> like an enemies to lovers cheerleader rivalry mm-hmm. where the two captains are, you know, they're the femme girlies but they're enemy teams and then they both end up at a gay conversion camp and have to break out together and that's how they become lovers and while that's happening on the inside on the outside their teams are coming together to try and like I don't know what the plot is fully like, bring it on but I'm a cheerleader like yes, pollination that's, that's, that's so great thing. I think you should write this I'll teach I'm you not a writer I'll te- I'm <laughs> I'm big ideas but when it comes to sitting down and writing it I'm like girl I don't know this is hard <laughs> Oh, goodness. No, that sounds like a great story. But yeah, Save the Last Dance 2. I haven't seen it. Can't really say. Save the Last Dance 2, The Streets, Havana Nights. All or nothing. Uh, all or nothing. Yeah, I was like, now we've done them all. Uh, does anyone have... Oh, I guess Havana Nights is probably another example of that, of like... White girl goes into Spanish culture and yes. <laughs> learns how to dance. I haven't seen it though, so I don't I know if that's what it's about. Oh, I love Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. It was my introduction to Diego Luna. He's the oh, romantic yeah. lead in it. And I'm looking up a picture yeah, of him now. That was uh, on heavy sleepover rotation, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Baby Diego Luna. Brag. I know. Does anyone have anything else they would like to talk about? Oh, gosh. I feel like we could keep talking for hours. Truly. I'm like, what is this movie? Uh, yeah, I was like, are there any other lines that I particularly thought were interesting? 
I do think it's hilarious that Chenille is like, she, you know, dreams of going to fashion school and she like designs and like puts together all these outfits. But I'm like, are her outfits good? Because I feel like. Yeah, they should have thought more about they're that. They're not. <laughs> they should have thought more about that. Like just the way. And I know she like styled her in the car and stuff and like did mm-hmm. that quick change whatever but yeah they don't really like they give yeah we need more about that yeah. we need more <laughs> chenille in general i was like i don't know enough about 2001 well i i felt like a missed opportunity that i thought because we learn about chenille and derek's mom really late in the mm-hmm. plot like it's presented mm-hmm. as a twist that is not a twist and it's like why couldn't we have just learned this earlier it's because the movie doesn't care about them the same way it cares about sarah but that felt like because and again this is like a plot point that is like riddled with stereotypes but their mom is absent it's described that she's in jail quote for drugs ellipses for things women do for drugs ellipses and you're like okay uh mm-hmm. but even if we're just taking the plot point that sarah and chenille's mother are both absent they're not or like that is like a chance for an opportunity a chance to connect like something she they have said that from common. early on yeah i lost my right. mom whatever yeah. but also this is the part where i was like uh-uh y'all should have let the black people leave because mama dean would have come around the corner and been like yeah them drugs that reagan planted you know so, <laughs> like it's just it would yeah well to that point as far as like i'm not even sure why chenille takes sarah under her wing like and then do derek and sarah have anything in common aside from the fact that they've both read capote and have opinions on it that they read for class i just it feels like another like undercooked romance where it's like what do they like about each other? Yeah, what do they have it's in like common? Derek toes the line of being in his world, but also he wants to go to Georgetown and he knows about Capote and mm-hmm. he's a black intellectual. So like there's a certain like he's classed differently than the yeah. people around him because of that intelligence and because of the way he can talk and how he can code switch and go back and forth. He doesn't really code switch that much, but like, you know, just mm-hmm. like he's teeters that line i guess of being black but not malachi black (laughs) or snooky black right (laughs) so is the movie implying that because he is like a quiet intellectual then he like it makes sense for him to be with a white person like i don't know if that's I, i got the vibe of like less that and more like maybe it's a respectability thing of like okay, we want to show different depictions of black folks. So we have the nerdy black dudes for a quick second. But Derek Mm -hmm. is a black man that like anyone would want, not even just black women, but even a white girl would want. Uh He's smart. Mm -hmm. He is driven. Like that's what Chenille's talking about. She's like, he's going to make something of his life. He's not going to have kids and just leave them like, and we don't have enough of that. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. oh no. It's bleak. I will say, to pay this movie a tiny little compliment, even though it doesn't handle anything thoughtfully, uh, that at this time in the early 2000s, very few movies featured an interracial relationship. Mm-hmm. We very rarely saw interracial oh, I guess kisses. The last time was Jungle Fever. And that was the 80s, right? <laughs> Jungle fucking fever. Oh, God. I still no, never the bodyguard. Seen that 
The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard. Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. There are a few examples. Early 90s. But it was, early, early 90s. It was rare. It was yeah. pretty rare. For a while, you got like one a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And like movies that maybe had almost like an implied interracial romance, mm. such as like Men in Black, where it's like Will Smith and then I forget the actor's name, but they don't kiss. There's but no interracial kiss. kiss on screen in many cases so i was like okay bad boys as well i think yeah i feel like we had that same conversation yeah on that episode as well point is that there was very little representation of interracial relationships or like physical contact at this time not that it's necessarily a representation win as far as how that relationship plays out but Mm -hmm. it is representation of it (laughs) See, and this is the thing with representation. (laughs) If there is more, more of it, just more Mm -hmm. of it, Mm -hmm. the clumsy versions that come through, they're not as big a deal. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's it's not as big a deal. Say the last dance is like, okay, cute, whatever. But Mm -hmm. because there are so few and far between and because if one doesn't do well immediately, it's like, well, that's a wrap. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, let's just allow ourselves to make more bad depictions so that we can have enough and more pictures of it just like being normalized rather than because like a lot of the discourse between the characters in this movie are characters discussing is this a good idea should interracial relationships happen whereas if it's more representation of just like two people who are in love and they're together and they happen to be an interracial couple and that's just presented as a perfectly normal thing yeah but we were getting very little of that at the time are there any movies that y'all can think of movies or tv shows that you can think of where they've had an interracial couple of like any mix that you've been like oh this was a pretty interesting take i feel like i've pointed out different examples of this on various episodes i can't even remember the movies anymore but i know i've made the comment of like oh this is an interracial couple where no attention is brought to it it's just presented as like a very normalized thing. We covered, I don't think that this is necessarily the best example. We covered something new last year. I know that that was another movie about interracial relationships that was a little all over the place, but, but right. it's like Hitch. Hitch. <laughs> yeah. Hitch. hitch. There hitch. you go. God. We haven't covered it yet, but. Oh, Romeo must die. Listen, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I fucking loved Romeo must die. That's really brave of you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yep. I thought this was a safe space. I'm mm-hmm. I'm just looking up. Yeah, something new is on there. Othello. Oh. Oh, I guess Brandy Cinderella. I guess yeah, that, that is. Brandy Cinderella. Brandy Cinderella is the perfect example of that because yes. they really just let us pop into a fantasy world and have fun. I wish yes, Bridgerton yeah. would have done that from the beginning. Just <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. Just do that. I feel like we see interracial couples in media more today than we used to, certainly. But at least in this era, it is. I mean, but there were also other movies that featured interracial couples in dance movies specifically around this time. Like it was a thing. They're bringing two worlds together. Exactly. And it always centers usually a white girl Mm -hmm. who's like, learning tolerance and a little something about herself and you're like all right (laughs) that's the tagline Uh, (laughs) yeah Yeah. real quick i wanted to point out there's that moment where sarah 
is given the fake ID so that she can get into steps where at least 50% of the movie takes place. It seems they never go anywhere else. It's always steps. Always. And she's given this fake ID and Sarah sees the photo and she's like, oh, she's ugly. She's fat. fat. Oh, girl. (laughs) And that is just a thing that is said in the movie without being challenged and that was pretty nasty she's 21 (laughs) (laughs) right end of scene yeah there's i mean there's a lot of parts of this movie i mean that are very of the era in just kind of like dismissive and weird ways it's an extremely 2001 movie yeah in any case does this movie pass the bechdel test uh yeah it does yeah yeah, (laughs) i mean you know that's the positive we can say that is (laughs) just further proof that it's uh you know it's one metric invented as a joke but it does it does pass it does pass yeah at least between sarah and chenille and then i also think between sarah and her mom in the two seconds in this movie where she's alive Yes. Where she's yes, like, sir. come on. And then her mom's like, it's a florist emergency or fucking whatever. <laughs> sure. Also between Sarah and Nikki when they're oh, yeah. fighting. But yeah, it does pass. But what about our metric? The most important media metric ever conceived. Mm. The nipple scale, zero to five nipples. Mm-hmm, and we rate mm-hmm. it based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I would not rate this movie highly. <laughs> the minute you said intersectional feminist lens, I was like, ooh, I got to take off two more points. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so honestly, I mean, it was a very 2001 attempt to examine something that the movie did not have the capacity to examine meaningfully at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> And based on how it's basically just a movie about a white girl who appropriates black culture and any time that anyone calls her out or she's made to feel uncomfortable, the movie is just like, yeah, can't you sense how uncomfortable she is? And isn't that too bad? And they need to apologize to her for it. Right. And she's then they doing do. the best she can. And she's doing her best. It's such a hard situation for her to be in. Can't you see yeah. that? And it's just like, no, all of the framing around that is really quite silly. So I'll give it a half nipple for showing an interracial kiss in 2001. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> I thought I was mean. I was going to give it 1.3 nipples. Oh, I mean, please unpack it. But that's only because they employed more black people. That's literally it. Because black people were on the payroll. A lot of people got a paycheck. (laughs) Yes. Whether that paycheck was good is, uh, (laughs) but you know. I mean, based on Kerry Washington's anecdote about having to return to teaching after this movie because she couldn't quit her day job because what you would think would have been a role that should have paid the bills for a while uh didn't do that so oops i'm gonna go one nipple i think yeah this movie is not doing very much and i don't know i don't think i have anything else to add to it it's just like a movie with a predominantly black cast that still manages to be about a white woman it's kind of like (laughs) 
holy shit <laughs> it's they really they bamboozled us they it was deceptive yeah they got us also not for nothing like i know we're, we are mostly talking about the themes the characters it's boring this movie's boring yeah there's long stretches of it that i was bored yeah and the dancing isn't fun to watch because it's no again, at least not step good. up no. 3d and step up too. like the shit was like they were doing so they were dancing <sighs> There's okay. a reason I own Stomp the Yard on DVD. It is fun to Not watch. Not you admitting man. you own Stomp the Yard on DVD. <laughs> you own that movie on I how own... long have you had that DVD? Probably when did it come out? Like 2007. So you yeah. have an old Ooh, wow. Okay. I bought it in like as soon as it came out on DVD cuz I saw it in the theaters as soon twice. As it came- Just <laughs> I don't know anybody else that had owns that movie. Like just no one, not race or anything. I just don't know anyone that owns that movie or saw that movie twice in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain it. I just listen. It really I love spoke to I love me. Romeo Must Die. So, <laughs> and my favorite problematic movie is The Hot Chick. It is so problematic. Oh and my I, god, I have never seen it. I have oh. so much fun watching that movie. It is Come so back for cuties and the hot chick. Rachel McAdams, one of her first movies. A young Ashley Simpson is in there as a little cameo. Oh, wild. It's, yeah. Well, anyway, there you have it. That's our <laughs> Save the Last Dance episode. Khadija, thank you so much for joining us. It's been yes. a, an absolute treat. Please come back for Please. any movie, cuties or literally anything. Where can people check out your work, follow you online, plug away? You can find me at Khadija.mbo on TikTok, Instagram. What's that other one? I don't go on X, but mm-hmm. I have one. You can find me on YouTube. Just look up Khadija Mbo. Yeah. And if you want to check out some of the stuff that I'm doing that isn't online related, Operatica, the pole opera show that I'm mm. producing. <laughs> Okay. You know, the landing page just says coming soon, but the image is pretty cute. So check it out and follow the Instagram Operatica Events. That's O-P-E-R-A-T-I-K-A Events. Amazing. Hell yeah. And you can check us out on social media at Bechtelcast. You can go to our Matreon where, again, rather than releasing the Save the Last Dance episode there, which was our original intention, we swapped right. it out for a burlesque episode so you can enjoy. Really rich discussion going on over oh, yes. there as well as flash dance. And that's five bucks a month for two new episodes every month and access to our entire back catalog. You can also get our merch over at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. Woohoo. <laughs> and with that, let's go to our Juilliard audition. But... Be careful. Don't get in a car because it's going to crash. <laughs> Jesus. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the Bechtel Cast is a production of iHeartMedia, hosted by Caitlin Durante and Jamie Loftus, produced by Sophie Lichterman, edited by Mo Laborde. Our theme song was composed by Mike Kaplan with vocals by Catherine Voskresensky. Our logo and merch is designed by Jamie Loftus. And a special thanks to Aristotle Acevedo. For more information about the podcast, please visit linktree slash Bechtelcast. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.